This program is presented by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Welcome to this podcast. We will be discussing myalgic encephalomyelitis chronic fatigue syndrome, also referred to as MECFS, in hopes of giving you a better understanding of a complex illness. I'm joined by Dr. Beth Unger, Chief of the Chronic Viral Diseases Branch in the Division of High Consequence Pathogens and Pathology, where MECFS is located within CDC. We will be discussing the importance of raising awareness about MECFS, educating healthcare professionals about the illness, and listening to and supporting people living with MECFS. Dr. Unger, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jeffrey, for hosting. I'm happy to be here. Dr. Unger, can you give us an overview of MECFS and what makes it such a complex illness? Sure. MECFS is a debilitating chronic illness that affects multiple body systems. People living with it often find themselves unable to live, work, and play the way they did prior to the illness. In some instances, people find they are confined to bed most of the time. As many as 2.5 million Americans suffer from MECFS, and of those, about 90% have not been diagnosed. MECFS costs the U.S. economy between 18 and $51 billion annually in medical bills and lost income. While anyone can get MECFS, it is most common in people between the ages of 40 and 60. In adults, more women are affected than men. People of all race and ethnicities are affected, but more whites are diagnosed, which means minorities are not being diagnosed. Children and adolescents can get MECFS too. Hmm. How do medical professionals reach a diagnosis? Healthcare professionals make a diagnosis based on the patient's medical history and evaluation of the patient's symptoms. There are three core symptoms of MECFS. Number one, a patient with MECFS cannot do activities that were normal before their illness began and will have severe tiredness that doesn't get better with rest. Number two, the patient's symptoms will get worse after any kind of physical or mental activity that wasn't a problem for them before. This is known as post-exertional malaise, or PEM. And number three, sleep problems that can include not feeling rested even after a full night of sleep, trouble falling asleep and staying asleep. People also need to experience either problems with memory or thinking, or else symptoms that get worse when they stand or sit upright. Healthcare providers should also rule out other illnesses that could be causing their patients' symptoms. There is no cure for this? That's correct, at least right now. We hope that one day there will be, but for now there are strategies that help improve symptoms and quality of life for some patients. We recommend that people diagnosed with MECFS work closely with their healthcare provider to address the symptoms that are most troubling to them or that have the greatest impact on their lives. There may be things they can do that bring them some relief from their problems. It is also a good idea for people with MECFS to see their healthcare provider regularly to address any new symptoms that may develop or to learn if any new treatments may be available. I imagine that puts tremendous strain on the patient and their loved ones. Yes, unfortunately it does. In many cases, it's hard for family members to understand what their loved one is going through. Some people living with MECFS have the flexibility to maintain their jobs or schooling if they have the ability to work at their own pace from home or to work part-time as they're able. But in many other cases, people need full or part-time assistance with daily living or are even bedbound, so unfortunately must give up their jobs. In these cases, people will sometimes need to file for disability support. Because MECFS can last for years or even be lifelong, the emotional and financial toll can be huge. Hmm. The other thing that stands out to me, 
You mentioned 90% of people living with ME-CFS have not been diagnosed. Why is that? Well, there are several possible reasons. Currently, there's no lab test that diagnoses ME-CFS. Unlike many diseases where a simple blood test will tell you if you have the disease, ME-CFS is much more difficult to diagnose. As we've discussed, a physician or healthcare provider can diagnose ME-CFS by reviewing the patient's symptoms and medical history and doing appropriate testing to rule out other conditions. But before they can do any of that, they must be first aware of ME-CFS as a disease, know what distinguishes it from other chronic illnesses that may have some of the same symptoms. In addition, healthcare providers need to listen to and believe what their patients are telling them about their symptoms. Patients often report that their healthcare providers don't believe them because they may not appear ill while at the appointment, and the results of their screening test may be normal. Because of these challenges, many patients who are diagnosed have been sick for years before their diagnosis is named. Finally, many people living with this illness just don't have access to adequate health care to get a diagnosis and the help they need. Are there continuing education courses? How is CDC working to better arm healthcare professionals with the knowledge and skills to diagnose and care for people with ME-CFS? Well, we've partnered with Medscape and have four education courses listed on CDC's ME-CFS website, as well as on CDC Train, a learning network that's accessible to public health professionals, state health departments, tribal nations, and other federal agencies. We also have many resources on our website, including downloadable toolkits for healthcare providers and patients to help them make the most of doctor visits and keep track of their symptoms. The toolkits are available in both English and Spanish and were developed based on information we got from patients, ME-CFS experts, and other stakeholders. We also have videos on our website that show the importance of making an ME-CFS diagnosis. CDC is also conducting several other studies and projects that will result in more educational materials. If healthcare providers know more about ME-CFS, they'll be more likely to make a diagnosis and help patients manage the illness. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to imagine how frustrating it must be for a person with these symptoms to go to their doctor and come away without a diagnosis, without a plan of action, or any sense of hope. Yeah. This is why it is really crucial to validate people with ME-CFS and to listen to them. So many times we hear of people living with ME-CFS being told by doctors and even family members that the illness must all be in their head. We don't see them when they're incapable of simple tasks or being confined to their beds. If we only see patients when they're able to go to a doctor visit, a social event, or attend a family gathering, it might be difficult to see them as someone living with a debilitating, challenging chronic illness. Patients often describe their illness as invisible to others. Mm. Tell us more about people with ME-CFS before the onset of illness. Are people typically suffering from other illnesses, or do they have a history of chronic illness? Not necessarily. Quite frequently, people with ME-CFS are the exact opposite before they became ill. We regularly hear about people living normal lives and being active. For example, running marathons, hiking long distances, enrolled in university programs, or being very successful professionals before ME-CFS. And so, that so-called picture of health, suddenly being confined to bed, must seem difficult to understand for patient families and caregivers. What causes that change? Is there a known cause of ME-CFS? No, and, and that's really part of the challenge with this disease. We have not yet identified any one cause, and it's possible that ME-CFS has more than one cause. 
Some patients report they had a common infection like the flu and then just never fully recovered and instead developed more long-term symptoms of ME-CFS. An infection could trigger ongoing immune damage or an immune system that is weakened. Physical or emotional stress sometimes precedes ME-CFS symptoms. A stressful event can impact the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, which can result in an imbalance in the body's main stress hormone, which then leads to changes in the person's body chemistry. Sometimes we find several members of one family develop ME-CFS, so it's possible there may be a genetic component or a shared environmental exposure. Mm-hmm. It sounds like scientists are working hard to grasp a better understanding of this illness. But in the meantime, you mentioned listening and validating patients is crucial. What are some of the ways CDC listens? We have a series on our website called Voice of the Patient. This series of stories provides an opportunity for people with ME-CFS and their family members to tell their stories about living with this illness. So far, we've heard from a father whose teenage daughter started experiencing symptoms her senior year in high school. A mother and her adult son have shared their story of living with the illness and supporting one another while working to advocate for ME-CFS. Most recently, a married couple shared their story of how this illness affects their relationship. How do these stories help in the understanding of ME-CFS? Well, since we give people living with this illness the chance to talk about the challenges, burdens, and difficulties in their own words, we're not interpreting anything. It is a first-hand account. We hope this helps those who are willing to share their story by way of the CDC find recognition of their experiences. The webpage can also help healthcare providers gain a better understanding of what day-to-day life is like for people with ME-CFS. And finally, it helps people who are facing a new diagnosis of ME-CFS feel less alone and hopefully creates a network of understanding and connection between members of the patient community. It sounds like people with this illness can feel very isolated. The shared stories are probably powerful for people who are facing a new diagnosis or who feel they are battling ME-CFS alone. But how does the patient community stay informed about the work going on within CDC? Well, thank you for asking. We have several regular meetings which provide information to people with ME-CFS and help us communicate directly with those who are living with the disease. One of the main ways we do this is through our Stakeholder Engagement and Communication Calls, or SEC calls, that happen twice a year. During SEC calls, we provide updates on what CDC's ME-CFS program is doing and host guest speakers who specialize in diagnosing and treating people with ME-CFS. CDC also participates in interagency meetings with the National Institute of Health that are open to the public. Both calls offer a chance for callers to ask questions directly from CDC and other experts. That's great. Can anyone attend these meetings or webinars? Yes, we post the meeting details on our website a month before the call, and most of our regular attendees have signed up for email announcements. Most people living with ME-CFS must plan for anything physically or mentally tasking, making sure they have time to rest before and after. Because we know that everyone who may be interested might not feel up to participating in the calls at the time they occur, we also post transcripts and audio or video recordings of these meetings on our website so that they can access them later. What other ways does CDC provide information on ME-CFS? Well, in addition to the calls I just mentioned, we have a very useful website dedicated to the disease. The site includes materials specifically for the general public and other materials for healthcare providers. 
We regularly update our website and include links to external MECFS resources outside of CDC. Finally, each year for International MECFS Awareness Day, we post something new on our website and use CDC social media to get the word out about MECFS. So we've covered how people living with MECFS can connect with each other and with CDC. How can the average person support people with this illness? Well, there are many different ways people can show support for someone who is living with MECFS. First and most important, if you have a friend, neighbor, or loved one with the illness, let them know you see them and how hard it is to deal with MECFS. Listen to them and encourage them to share their story with you and others if they're comfortable. People can also share information through social media by following the hashtag MECFS and retweeting or sharing CDC content. People can bookmark the CDC MECFS website and attend an SEC call. International MECFS Awareness Day is May 12th. Blue is the color for MECFS awareness, so you can wear blue in support. Dr. Unger, thank you for taking the time to talk to us about MECFS. I think this should give people a better understanding of this complex illness and have come away with some ideas about how we can become better informed. Thank you for the opportunity. For the most accurate health information, visit cdc.gov or call 1-800-CDC-INFO.